Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. This is Courtney, and I'm so glad you're with us for another episode of In Doubt. If you were able to listen to last week's episode, you'll be familiar with who our guest is this week. And as a side note, I definitely recommend that you check that out because it's a good episode where we're talking about the subject of LGBTQ and the meaning and purpose of marriage. Anyways, this week, we're joined by Preston Sprinkle again, and this time we're diving into a discussion on sex. Recognizing that sex is a massive topic, there's only a few ways that we can cover this discussion in the time that we have. So you'll hear Daniel and Preston talk through the meaning of sex and what it means in a biblical and cultural context. And then we're looking at some big issues in our culture that relate to sex. So polyamory, what is it and how do we respond to it as Christians, and the relationship between sex and technology. Ultimately, Preston and Daniel talk through more than just the question of what is sex, but also how are humans to relate to each other sexually so that we can honor God in how we're expressing ourselves. The purpose of these episodes with Preston Sprinkle is to hopefully have you start the conversation in your own life and either begin to or continue to construct a positive vision for marriage and sex. In saying that, I hope that you find this conversation helpful, informative, and a beginning guide to this whole discussion. So here's the episode with Daniel and Preston Sprinkle. Welcome to In Doubt. My name's Daniel, and I'm joined again by Preston Sprinkle. Preston, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. For those who might have missed the last time, Preston, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so I'm uh, uh, 44 years old, been a Christian for about 25 years. Um, I've uh, I've served in churches before, but primarily I've been uh, a professor in Christian uh, colleges and universities. But more recently, I started an organization called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Uh, you can go to centerforfaith.com if you want to check it out. Uh, our mission is to help Christian leaders and churches engage questions about faith, sexuality, and gender with theological faithful, faithfulness and courageous love. So both a theological component, but also a, a robust uh, pastoral component as well. So that's been my world the last uh, three three plus years, I guess it is. Yeah. And uh, I was reading that you did your PhD out in Scotland. Is that correct? Yeah. Aberdeen University. Aberdeen. Yeah. What was um, it like living out there? Is it different than it, than living in Idaho? Yeah, well, I'm in Idaho now. I, I I was in California when I went to Aberdeen. So uh, you know the weather the weather is quite different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if anybody is listening from Scotland, uh, you're probably cracking up right now. I, I moved from uh, the Los Angeles area where you know winter is, you know, what is it, 70 degrees or 21 Celsius, whatever. Um, uh, and and going to Scotland, yeah, in the middle of July, if it's that warm, it's you know people are outside melting and. So, but beyond that, I, we had a fantastic time. Scotland is an absolutely amazing country, and and my family and I, we just really fell in love with the UK. So much about it, and any chance we get to go back, we just we love the culture, love the people, the lifestyle, and everything. So, yeah, definitely has a big place in my heart. Sweet. Well, last time we had you on, Preston, we were chatting about what it looks like to reach out to our gay neighbor and how we can best do that as Christians in truth and love. And with your center for faith sexuality and gender, I guess my question for you is, 
as you look ahead at our cultures, you look ahead, you know, perhaps at Canada, at, at the UK, at uh, the United States, wherever that might be in the Western world, what do you see are, are some of the, the pressing questions on the horizon in regards to sexuality and gender? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm, I'm getting asked that more and more, actually, um, which is, I think, a good thing. You know, when we started this center, even before we started it, questions around same-sex sexuality were kind of our focal point, the, the LGB of the acronym. But shortly after we started it, you know, we, we were getting more questions about the T or even the Q or the I, you know, if, if these acronyms are, are resonating. Um, so, yeah, questions around gender and, and what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male and female? What does it mean to be transgender? When someone says, my kid's transgender, what does that mean? Like, what actually does that mean? And so we've been focusing on the um, those kind of transgender-related questions the last few years. Um, but if, what's next, I think, um, I think there's going to be questions related to, um, one, polyamory, which has to do, well, polyamory just means plural love, relationships uh, between uh, more than two people, so a man and two women, or three women, or three men, or whatever. Um, yeah. And there's all kinds of variations within that. Um, so that's one big thing. That's not not even on the horizon, but it's actually more prevalent than people realize. I mean, five percent of the population, according to one credible uh, study, um, is in a a uh, you know they might call it a, a consensual non-monogamous relationship, where it's either an open relationship or it's between, or among, I guess, uh, more than two people. Then another thing that's quickly on, you know, coming is, is the relationship between sex and technology. Um, obviously, technology is advancing like crazy. Um, and obviously, and unfortunately, pornography is a, a massive problem. Well, it's not going to stop there. I mean, as technology keeps advancing and our, our sex drive doesn't seem to be slowing down, we have to get ahead of the curve and start asking questions about, for, for instance, VR sex, virtual reality sex. Is that sex? If you're hooked up to a machine and your mind is in a, <laughs> is in a different reality and you're having sex with somebody, are you actually having sex with somebody? Um, or even sex with robots. Now, this sounds really far-fetched, but according to some um, pretty credible scholars, they said if technology keeps advancing at this pace, more humans will be having sex with robots by the year 2050 than with other humans. Oh my. Wow. I, I've, well, I mean, I mean, think about it. So technology, is technology going to slow down? No. Not really. <laughs> is sex going to slow down? I don't think so. So you, you just, if you follow those two kind of ine inevitable paths, it's going to happen. And I don't recommend people Googling sex with robots, but <laughs> if you have a filter on your a uh, computer, you might not be able to get on some of these websites, but I'm not talking about like machines. I'm talking about even now in 2020, some of these robots look as human as you and I are close to it. Um, so you have basically sex with all, without all the relational baggage it is how it's framed. And it's like, or even some people make a moral argument saying, wait, if people are having sex with robots, then that's going to diminish the sex trafficking industry. It's going to reduce adultery. Aren't these good things? So there's even some moral arguments that people are using to justify sex with robots. So anyway, all the more reason to um, for Christians to revisit the text of Scripture to say, what is sex? And, and how are humans to relate to each other sexually so that we can honor God and how we're expressing ourselves? Wow. So, well, let's start right 
right there where we are going with that. With what, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> well, welcome to the radio. Um, what is the purpose of sex, Preston? If you are, someone comes to you and says, maybe let's just imagine they're a non-Christian and uh, they're open to Christianity, they're open to other religions and faith expression, they come and ask you, hey, what is sex? How would you respond to that? You know, that's a great question. Um, and and it's, it's a question that can be answered with both the Bible and science, because I think both the Bible and science remarkably um, agree on this one. I know the Bible and science have been I've had a rough go <laughs> around many questions around dinosaurs and the age of the earth and stuff. But when it comes to sex, there's remarkable agreement. So uh, biblically, I think, obviously, procreation is one purpose of sex. Um, and just because we can prevent that now doesn't mean that just biologically the, the sex act um, does not have a procreative element. Like clearly all the stuff going on in sex Procreation has to be at least part of the reason why we are wired this way. Um, also, bonding. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 2 that, you know, um, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. That idea of one flesh is, you know, symbolizes this kind of unique bond. Now, in the New Testament, Paul in 1 Corinthians even talks about, you know, if you go have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with her. So you have this bonding kind of language um, when the Bible talks about. Um, sex, which is why it's, it's, I think it's one of the reasons why sex is spo- supposed to be for marriage, because you're bonding with the person that you're c- committed to. Now, we know through neuroscience that you know you have all these kind of chemicals going on in your bo- body, and uh, some of those chemicals are called you know like bonding chemicals. And when you have a a sexual experience, whether it's porn, sex outside of marriage, sex within marriage, or whatever, but you, your body is releasing these chemicals that acts as a bonding agent to the thing that you're either viewing or the person you're having sex with. So, I mean, pleasure is, you know, some, someone could say, okay, bonding, procreation, and also pleasure. I think pleasure might be more of a, not a, a goal per se, but the thing that drives us towards bonding, drives us towards uh, procreation. Um, and, but it is a good, it's a good thing. God created sex. God created sex to be pleasurable. Um, so there's nothing dirty about sex per se and there's nothing wrong about enjoying sex per se but pleasure i don't think is ever a, an intended goal in and of itself i right. think there's other higher goals well th- that's an interesting point because I-, I was reading john piper his book desiring god right and he's in, in a lecture he gave on a very similar uh subject he said like god he desires for us to have pleasure right he created us to to experience pleasure and i sometimes forget that because I, I tend to think of pleasure and then think, oh, but that's something only like the secular world does. You know, that's not what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to be pious and follow the Bible and, and, and be reserved and stuff. And, and it's, it's actually a good reminder for me even to be like, no, it's, it's okay. And it's actually a good thing to have pleasure, but you will only find full pleasure, the, the, the maximum greatest pleasure when you are in right relationship with God and in right relationship with people. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, God, I, I know, I think in some branches of Christianity, pleasure is almost seen as intrinsically bad, but it's it's misguided pleasure, or pleasure that may come from misguided behavior that, that is only bad. But I mean, think about just our, our nerve endings are part of our humanity. God created us that way to enjoy things. When you go on a long run, and endorphins are released, it makes you feel good, and that's 
that's that's good. It's like you're you know you're exercising, you're being healthy. Food. Think about the pleasure that comes from food. You know, God wired our taste buds a certain way so that we would enjoy food, and you see even that all throughout Scripture of two humans enjoying each other in relationship around food and drink and and so on. But it's it's the abuse abuse of those things that um, is wrong. But pleasure in and of itself is something God uh, created for us. It's not you know it's not even a neutral thing that God wired us in the world. Um, in in a way that we would experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the the idea then of of what is sex, it is more than just pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is something that we, uh, you know, if you watch movies, you listen to music, it just seems like it's a it, it should be a consensual thing that is transactional. You're both receiving pleasure in that way, and then whatever that looks like to you um, doesn't matter. You are free to find that pleasure whatever way you want, right? That's, I think that's how our world would um, describe what sex is. And, and what I hear you saying is like, no, God has a design for this, and this is a, a good thing, and this is uh, sex point, it is so much more, like the pleasure is a byproduct of it. Well, that's why, yeah, it, or even a, a, a driver of it. I mean, I don't, if sex wasn't pleasurable, I don't know if we would be doing it a whole lot and then we probably wouldn't be procreating we wouldn't be bonding with each other so i mean i I think it is kind of the ingredient that drives us toward the ultimate goals but yes it can't be i don't think it should be the ultimate the ultimate goal Mm -hmm. so then in the the discussion around you know sex robots right or uh the the virtual reality pornography that is it seems to me like a an issue of people just saying well this is the easiest avenue towards this pleasure to having this transactional experience. Uh, so do you see that as like, like, is it really that harmful? I mean, if I'm just playing devil's advocate here, right? Like, yeah. you know, how is, it's not harming anyone. It's, they're keeping it to themselves. You know, how can this be a bad thing? Yeah. Well, I would say the harm there, well, first of all, you know, harm is one question we should ask, not the only moral question. Um, but secondly, I think that there will be some long-term harm. I mean, we see this with uh, t- especially kids, teenagers that are, you know, they're on porn for five, ten years, and then they get married, and they don't, they literally don't know how to have sex with another human. Um, so, I mean, if somebody is having sex, VR sex, or sex with a robot, they're going to have a really hard time, I think. They're going to build up habits that are going to make it really hard to act- actually bond with another human. Or... or um, and this might take us in another direction, but, you know, sex is so much more than just the act. I mean, sex, sexuality is wrapped up into so many different aspects of our humanity um, so that, well, <laughs> there's a reason why sex robots aren't really being created for females, <laughs> typically, because the female sexuality is way, it, it's, it's way more intertwined with uh, emotion, intimacy, romance non-erotic aspects of sexuality, um, uh, relationship, which is in a sense, I think female sexuality is probably closer to the mark of what is probably good sexuality. But for guys, a lot of times, it's just kind of this, you know, he's focused on the one, this one aspect of the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that VR sex and sex with robots will end up reinforcing a kind of really warped view of the holistic nature of what it means to be a sexual being. So I think it's the long-term harm is going to be, um, yeah, I just think people aren't going to be able to engage in a sexual relationship the way God intended it with another human. Yeah. Um, There'll be just a massive 
feeling of being lost <clears throat> yeah within that it's, right? it's gonna it's gonna reinforce the, the very narrow thin anemic view of sex that sex is to bring me pleasure as an individual period and and that's and that's it that's just that's not that's a really it, well it's a thin view of what sex is i'm not saying again pleasure individual pleasure is a component of it but when that becomes the ultimate goal then you're not going to actually enjoy sex in the way the creator intended it. Mm-hmm. So what about on the the other end of that? Because that sounds, um, you know, VR sex, pornography, indulging in those sounds like a very much a, um, a self-gratifying uh, sexual expression. When we talk about, so you brought up the other issue of, of, of polyamory, right? That seems to me like if you're having multiple kind of partners who are all consensual, is that uh, a very much a, like a giving uh, alternative to to this? Do you think that maybe with the increased use of pornography that people are actually resorting to more of this polyamorous or open relationship out of a you know an expression to try and be more giving? Yeah. Well, that's you know, I I have I have some Christian. I mean, friends would be too strong. We we know each other through social media and stuff. That are confessing Christians. And they're in polyamorous relationships, and, that, and that's. And, but they argue it from scripture, and, that, and that's exactly what they say. I have more love to give than just one person, and so they frame it in a way that sounds really virtuous. But yeah, no, I, I think um, more and more you're going to see arguments from scripture justifying polyamorous relationships. Yeah. So, 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 and sorry, just to jump back, can you just define yeah. polyamorous relationship one more time? Yeah, poly means many, and um, amore, amore means love, so plural love, many love. So it's just a, a, a typically a sexual relationship among three people, and it can take various forms. It could be one guy having a relationship with two different women. It could be one guy with the two women, but the two women are also engaged with each other. So it could be just you know three on three or whatever. It's not just sexual. Um, so it's because some people say, oh yeah, that's like swinging, right? Swinging, you know, where a boyfriend, girlfriend might say, yeah, if you want to go hook up with somebody else tonight, that's totally fine. Um, that, that would be under the umbrella of polyamory, but polyamory would typically be an actual relationship that involves sex, but isn't reduced to sex among three or more, uh, people. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about these friends though, that see it as a more virtuous, uh, way of living, they have more love to give. How have you interacted with them? Well, um, yeah, not not extensively, honestly. I mean, um, we've on our website, centerforfaith.com, we um, I have other people that you know write for the ministry, and I have a, a good friend of mine, uh, Branson Parler, who wrote a pretty lengthy paper arguing uh, for monogamy and arguing against polyamory. And so we've We've kind of addressed some of the biblical Christian arguments that are um, used to justify polyamory. I, I mean, I think it, I think it does come down to um, uh, Genesis one and two, and how Jesus even evokes that passage that there is something um, necessary in the number two um, in male and female coming together that best represents Christ in the church or the, the, the father, you know, Yahweh and, and Israel. Uh, so that the, the number two is, it isn't arbitrary. It is sort of built into the very definition of what marriage is. I mean, Jesus makes this point pretty, I think pretty explicitly in Matthew 19. It's interesting in Genesis two 24, it says the man 
shall leave his father and mother and um, be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Jesus quotes that passage in Matthew 19, 5, and says, the two will become one flesh. It's almost like he changes the text. Or he does, I mean, changes the text and adds the number two, which is implied in Genesis 2, but he makes yeah. it really explicit. Very like, clear. This number is not arbitrary. The hard thing is, and I'll, to be honest, you know, you do have examples of polygamy in the Old Testament, and sometimes they're not condemned. Polygamy would be a subset within the, an umbrella category of polyamory. Now, polygamy is one man and typically several wives who are treated like property, so it didn't have an, an egalitarian flavor to it, whereas polyamory does. Um, but it's still, it, it's a plural marriage that isn't outright condemned. In fact, in 2 Samuel 12, God tells David, you know, how could you, after he sinned with Bathsheba, how could you do this to me? You know, look at all the things I've given to you. Look at all these buildings and wealth I've given to you. Look at all these wives I've given to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Hold the phone. Did God just talk about the wives in a positive sense that he gave to David? So here you have a, which is, I honestly, I mean, that's a tough passage. It's like, man, I don't know what to do with that. Now, it seems that polygamy is always framed in, a, well, apart from that passage, framed in a negative light in the Old Testament. And it does seem to be done away with by the New Testament. But I think there's, there's a, I would say this, people may disagree with me. I think there's more clarity in the Bible on prohibiting same-sex relationships than there is in prohibiting polyamorous relationships because we do have some positive examples of polygamy in the Old Testament. We don't have any examples of a same-sex sexual relationship that's painted in positive light. Mm -hmm. Would you look at that passage, though, with, with David as an example of, you know, David is walking wayward, and, and none of the people that God uses are perfect. And so God sometimes, like, he gives us what we want, right? If, we're, if we want to walk in sin, and, and that's, you know, what David has chosen, God kind of, he's like, well, I'll give David the desires that he wants, and let's see how that works out for you, David. Is that, that's a theme I think we see. Is that kind of what that's referring to? I, I, that's, I, that's what I would probably say. I think so. We see it like, it, it almost be like, you know, when Israel is asking for a king, and God says, you shouldn't be asking for a king, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a king. And then God says, okay, I'm going to give you King Saul. So he gives them what they want. And in that context, I think you can make a case that that's probably what's going on. Also, God does, in the Old Testament, operate within the sort of cultural norms of the day. He's communicating to Israel through the cultural forms in which Israel is living in that day. That doesn't mean God intrinsically endorses all those forms, but he does relate to Israel through those cultural forms. And this is something we see with all kinds of other ethical issues in the Old Testament. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, you can't just quote 2 Samuel 12 and think that that endorses polygamy or polyamory, but yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, Preston, I mean, there's so much here and there's so many different issues, but I guess my question for you, just as we kind of come in for a landing here, is with so many different issues on the horizon, how are we supposed to live faithful as Christians? And what I mean by that is how are we supposed to, like, live in this world? where it just seems like there's so much going all over the place. And, and how do we be a faithful presence wherever we are? Oh, man, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, you know, I, when it comes to sexuality, I would say this is, this is why it's important to construct a positive vision for what marriage is, what sex is for, 
what it means to be a sexual human, what it means to be male and female, so that when the latest kind of thing comes up, you're not just always, you know, just addressing this or addressing that. If you have a positive vision for what sex is for, then it's kind of easy to to kind of respond to these other things that don't align with that vision. But if if all you have is like a really thin view of marriage and sex, then you're going to have to be responding to all these things that come up every, every couple of years. So I think not to, and and for Christian leaders that might be listening, I mean, really digging deep into a Christian view of sex and sexuality, and then helping the Christians understand that. How many Christians could articulate? A biblical understanding of what sex is for. Well, let me ask you this. How many Christians desire sex? <laughs> and yet, how many can give a Christian understanding of what sex is for? That, that alone, I mean, most people would say, yeah, probably there's a huge disconnect there. Well, gosh, leaders, what are we doing? We need to step in and help Christians think through that. Um, so that would be my big thing. And, you know, also, God's good. God's going to win in the end. The spirit is really powerful. Prayer works. You know, keep a level head about you. Be humble. Um, we don't need to have all the answers right away. Uh, we just need to honor Christ and how we're pursuing these things in a, in a real volatile world and keep loving people well, you know. So not, nothing's new. I mean, there, things are new, but yeah. it's not. But right? again, so. nothing new under the sun, right? This <laughs> right. Is, there's been issues of, of gender sexuality. I mean, in the ancient world, too, this were. All this stuff was seen in the ancient world. So there's nothing we're looking at now that the New Testament writers weren't dealing with then. Yeah. Well, Preston, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. And thank you for joining us on In Doubt. And we will uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Cool. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. I hope that this conversation has given you some time to think about the discussion that surrounds sex in our culture and what the Bible says about it. As Christians, and I like what Preston said, that we need to understand and know what sex and what marriage is so that it's easy to respond to what doesn't align with God's Word. And how many of us don't necessarily know the biblical understanding of those? So this is a really good opportunity to start building into that. Maybe it means asking some questions or reading some books or looking into some online resources like Preston's Ministry, Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, so that you can get to that healthy place of having a positive, biblical vision of what sex and marriage are. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about, we'll have the links up on this episode's page on our website, and you can also go to PrestonSprinkle.com, where Preston has multiple resources to continue the conversation on sex, marriage, and the LGBTQ community. Next week, we'll have another new episode, and I hope that you join us then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 